I would like to begin what we have to share today by standing on um, two verses. One uh, is in Psalm 119, verse 18, and it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And the other one is also in Psalms. Um, from Psalm 27, it says, One thing have I asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Would you pray with me? Precious Father in heaven, it is such an honor to know that we are coming into your presence, to know that you are here with us, to know that we are by faith gathered at the foot of your magnificent throne where all the angels are crying out, holy, 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 and worthy, 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 and, and we're there too. Lord, thank you for accepting us in Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that you want to seek us and to know us and for us to know you. And so, Lord, as we journey through this story in your word together, just pray that you would help us to see wonderful things in your word, that you would open our eyes, help us see your beauty as we meditate in your temple today, Lord, because we are your children and we each one of us, we need you and we need to hear from you. So thank you for being with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just walk through a very familiar story with you today. Um, it's found in John, did I, oh, sorry. Found in John chapter 11, and this is gonna be really bad. Oh, there it is, okay. I thought I had left my notes at home. Okay, this is not gonna be really bad. Um, <laughs> this is a familiar story to all of us. We think of it as the story of Lazarus. I think of it as the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus, because Lazarus doesn't really show up till the end of the story. And yes, something amazing really does happen to Lazarus. It's, a, it's quite a moment for him. But most of the story that when we read through it is about Mary and Martha and their interaction with Jesus. So I would just like to go through this story together and the Lord will whew, have a lot to say to us. Um, let's start in the beginning. Um, I'm not supposed to touch it. You, if you have your Bible with you, I have no slides. So if you wanna open your Bible or find it on your phone, um, we're in John chapter 11 and I'll just start the story. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. I just want to do a sound check right now because I'm a little bit distant from the microphone. Can everyone hear me okay? All right. Um, the sisters, therefore, sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Well, now we have our story set. The stage is set. We have our characters. We have the scene. Um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are Jesus' friends. 
We know from other parts of the Bible that they live in Bethany. Bethany is only a couple miles from Jerusalem. And when Jesus is in the area, he stays at their house. Um, they're really good friends. They hang out with him. They've fed him. Mary, um, Mary Magdalene has quite the history with him. He has cast seven demons out of her. As far as we know from the story where she anointed his feet, she was called a sinner or an immoral woman. She has quite, had quite a past. And she has come into relationship with Jesus. She is a friend of Jesus. These two are believers uh, or these three, these three are believers. They're faithful. They're friends of Jesus. They have spent a lot of time with Jesus. And so now one of them is sick. No problem. One of their best friends is Jesus. And he's been all over the country healing people. And um, so no problem. We'll just talk to our friend Jesus. He'll be there for us, right? The very next verse says something quite startling to me anyway. In verse six, it says, um, it just said he loved them. Je Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And it says, when therefore he heard that he was sick, he, he went right away to heal him. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. That's what I would expect the next verse to say. But it doesn't say that. It says, when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. And this verse, for me, is where this story changes. Up until this verse, for me, this story is another story about ancient people. This is a story about people long ago who wore robes and wore sandals and lived in different kinds of houses than I do and wore different kind of clothes than I did and lived a different kind of life than I did and were very dusty and didn't, you know, have the internet. But in verse six, this story changes for me. In verse six, this story becomes my story because in verse six, this now becomes a story of unanswered prayer. This is now a story that I can identify with. I've been a Christian. You just heard my little short testimony. I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old. I have been living for Jesus my whole life. I've been going to church. I've been hearing the stories. I've been studying the Bible. I've been praying. I've been trying to live for him. I have walked with Jesus. I have been his friend. He has made promises to me. And so I have the idea that that means we're in a... Um, uh, what's that machine called? <laughs> you put money in and you get your pop machine. We're in a vending machine relationship. So I've done my part. I put in my coins. I put in my requests and he comes out with the answers, right? And if I don't get what I asked for from the vending machine, I call that unanswered prayer. These people must have felt so confused. They must have felt so let down. Je they asked Jesus to come. He had come for strangers. He had been there for people he didn't know. He had been there for people who weren't walking with him, who weren't his disciples, who weren't following him. He had been there for them. And then when they had a need, he sat around and he didn't come. Have you thought about what that would have felt like? Or maybe, just maybe, you have felt what that feels like. Because there isn't any one of us 
that hasn't had some moment in our life that we wondered if God was there, that we wondered if he was listening or if he was hearing, that we wondered if maybe we had done something that made him not listen, that we wondered why our prayers seemed to be unanswered. We have this idea that there's this formula with God. I do this, he does this, I get this. But that is not life at all. Life is messy. God isn't a formula where you do this and this and you get this outcome. Sin is complicated things. Our world is full of grays, not blacks and whites. And sometimes we pray to Jesus and he waits two days longer. But this story of Lazarus gives us a little insight into our own moments of unanswered prayer. So I'm sure you're familiar with the story. After this moment, um, Jesus has some conversation with his disciples about going or not going. Um, and if we jump to verse 14, um, Jesus is now talking about going to see Lazarus, but they've, um, but he's been telling them he's fallen asleep and they're saying, well, if he's sleeping, then he's going to get better. There's no need to go. And finally, in verse 14, Jesus tells them plainly, then Jesus said, therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. And I, this is just an aside, but I just love Thomas. It's so fun to do little studies of each disciples and each of the disciples. And Thomas, who later we know as the doubter, says, all right, let's go. If we're going to die with him, we're going to die with him. Let's go die then. <laughs> I love when you see their personalities come out. <clears throat> but Jesus then decided to go. And we see in verse 14 and verse 15 that Jesus is already revealing that none of this was accidental, that everything he did, even waiting two days, was intentional because Jesus had a bigger picture. God had a bigger plan. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but they were asking God for a healing, but he was going to give them a resurrection. They were thinking big, but God was thinking bigger. They were asking for what they thought they wanted. God knew what they needed, and he had to follow a little different plan to get them what they needed. I think sometimes the other day I was driving with a friend on, the, on I-25, and, you know, sometimes traffic's flowing great and sometimes is backed up forever, you know, and that's how it was on the other side. We were going north and the traffic coming south was backed up for, I don't know, I felt like miles. It was really, it was a parking lot. They were sitting there, you know, and you're always glad. Oh, I'm glad I'm not on that side of the road, you know, but then we were watching the other people coming down toward this where they were driving. Traffic was fine. Some people were entering into this on their on-ramps, not knowing what lay ahead, you know, and we, I was thinking if something happened and they couldn't get on their on-ramp and they couldn't get on I-25, they would be frustrated. And maybe they would even pray, oh, Lord, help me get on I-25. I need to get to such and such a place on time. And if God didn't answer that and didn't let them get on I-25, they would say, why didn't God answer my prayer? But God had the bird's eye view, you know, and he saw the big picture and he saw what was up ahead. And he knew what they were going to need and answered their prayer differently than yes, because he sees the big picture. 
but God never does anything that isn't loving. Did you know that? I heard a pastor say one time that the central theme, the central verse of the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he fill in the blank. In that verse, it says that he gave. But this pastor was saying, anywhere you read in the Bible, that is a story of God loving the world. And if, you, if, if you're not seeing how he's loving the world in that story, then you haven't fully understood it yet. Because that is the story of the Bible. God so loved the world that he, every action is motivated by God's unconditional, perfect love for everyone that he has made. So here we see that Jesus was intentional, even though it would have seemed confusing to them, they would have felt lost in what was going on in their lives. God had not abandoned them. Jesus had not abandoned them. He was intentional in what he was doing. So Jesus finally showed up. And as far as Mary and Martha were concerned, he showed up four days late. Now, I have thought about this unanswered prayer thing quite a bit. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we write books about this. I've seen books with titles like Seven Steps to Answered Prayer or Seven Five Keys to Answered Prayer. Or basically, we could be rewriting those titles as ways to get what you want, ways to get God to do what you want. Because that's what we really mean when we use the term answered prayer or unanswered prayer. But I would like to suggest this morning that there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. What we call un unanswered prayer is when Jesus didn't say yes, or when God didn't give us what we were asking for in the way we were asking for it, in the timing that we were hoping for. But every prayer God hears, every prayer God is there for, God may not be saying yes, he may be saying no, or he may be saying wait, or he may be saying in a different way, or or we have to go down this other path for you to actually get to where you're wanting to go to. This is going to look different than you're expecting, but stick with me and we'll get there. You know, God is answering every prayer. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Um, so I am fascinated by how Jesus handled this when he came to answer their prayer, answer their request. Um, he showed up and in verse 17, it says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Um, in verse 20, it says, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now that's all it says. You can read what you want to in that verse. Um, but I see that Martha was ready to go meet Jesus and Mary was mourning. Maybe she didn't hear that Jesus had, actually was, had showed up or maybe she did hear that Jesus had showed up and she just wasn't ready to meet him because he had let her down. Her brother had died. Maybe she was so full of grief, she couldn't face him yet. In verse 21, Martha started her conversation with Jesus. Mar Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. That was her conversation with Jesus. Then he finally got Mary. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met with him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And there's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I am fascinated by his interaction with these two women. Now, if you think some more about Mary and Martha and what you know about them from other stories in the Bible and put the picture together, um, I'll tell you the picture that has developed for me of what these women were like as people, what their personalities and their temperaments were like. Um, Martha seems to me to be more of a, a type A personality, doer, organizer. Um, she, The house is called her house, Martha's house. Um, when Simon had a feast, she was the one that made all the food. When Jesus was at her house, she was the one in the kitchen making all the food, making everything happen and frustrated that Mary was sitting at his feet, not helping. Um, she was the one first one out to Jesus. She seems like maybe a little more left brain person. Maybe she was more comfortable in her left brain. Maybe she was someone who really needed things to make sense and needed to understand things. Mar uh, Mary, she seems more of the sensitive, emotional, artistic kind of person. She was the one who fell deeply into a life of sin. Um, she was the one sitting at Jesus' feet, more meditative. Um, she was the one who followed Jesus as a disciple. She seems like, you know, two sisters with completely different personalities, which if you have children, you know that happens. Um, and she seems to me like maybe she would have been more comfortable in her right brain. And maybe she was a person who really needed understanding more than to understand. Um, I think if we were planning a women's retreat, we would want Martha on the team planning things. And we want, might want Mary leading the devotions. Um, and here were these two women. And they came to Jesus, and I don't know how it looks in the original language, but when this got translated into English in my Bible, these two sisters said word for word exactly the same thing to Jesus. Each one came to Jesus with the pain in her heart, 
the grief she was going through. And if you've ever been through the grief of losing someone close to you, you know that there is no describing it. It just takes over you. Both of them came to him in this kind of grief and said the exact same thing word for word. And Jesus responded to each one of them completely differently. He met them according to their personality, according to how their brain processed, according to how they worked, according to who they are. And he sat with Martha and she needed a conversation and he gave her a conversation and she needed to affirm that he was the Christ and she needed to talk to him about that. And so he had a talk with Martha and he met her in her left brain. And then when Mary came along, he said nothing. He cried. He sat there and he cried with her. And he met her in her right brain. And he met her according to her personality. And he, he ministered to each of their hearts according to who they were. We wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. You see it in this story. You see it in this story. The beautiful part of this story is just to know that God gets you. He made you and he knows you. You know, as we encounter each other, sometimes we, we meet people that we feel like, boy, we just feel like we're going like this. You know, we, we talk, but we don't get each other and we misunderstand each other or whatever. And then there's some people we really click with. And sometimes the Marthas of the world are frustrated with the Marys of the world. And sometimes the Marys of the world are frustrated with the Marthas of the world. But here, Jesus, oh. He saw them both as precious gems. He saw them both as jewels, not to be roughed up, but to be valued for who they were and, and to bring out the best in them and to meet their hearts right where they were for who they were. And God knows how to do that. God has been with you since the moment you were born. He knows you. He knows everything that's gone into your life that has molded your, your thinking and your feeling and your reactions to life. He knows you and he will meet you just like he met them. He will speak to you as you need to hear it, as you need to know him. He will meet you that way. I think that is just precious, precious about our Lord. Um, so after we had this encounter, then we build up to what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was there for, why Jesus waited two days. They had asked him for a healing, but he was thinking much bigger. And so they came to the, the tomb. And Jesus told them in verse 39 to remove the stone. And Martha, being the person that she was, being the practical Martha that she was, burst out, Lord, it's going to stink. <laughs> have you thought about this? It's not going to smell good. He's been in there four days. I'm sure that's not the first thing Mary, Mary was thinking. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, did I not say that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Remember he had told that, um, he had said that before in verse four. He had said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God might be glorified. And so he said, did I not tell you, if you believe you will see the glory of God. And so they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, father, 
I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you heard me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they might believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Not what they were expecting, far more than what they were expecting. But Jesus gave the key as to why he had answered their request, answered their prayer the way that he had, why they had had to go through a season of feeling like he wasn't listening, why they had gone, had to go through a season of feeling like their prayer was unanswered. Now he let them know. For them, it was four days later. Sometimes in life, it's longer that we wait. But the reason was to see the glory of God. Now, this concept of the glory of God is something that has grown for me. And the passage that really, really gives life to this concept for me is way back in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 33 and 24, or 33 and 34, when Moses said to God, I want to see your glory. Do you remember that story? And then he had to hide behind a rock and just in the cleft of the rock and all that. Well, when if you want to turn back there, flip back there in Exodus real quick to Exodus chapter 33. Jesus, Moses said, I pray thee, show me your glory. And the way that God responded is he said, okay, this is how I'm going to show you my glory. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my name. That's how he was going to show him his glory. He was going to show him his goodness and proclaim his name. And then when he did in chapter 34, verse 6, when the Lord passed in front of him and showed him his glory, this is what he proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And it goes on. He showed him his goodness. He showed him his character. He showed him his heart. He showed him who he was. Do you know that the thing that brings God the most glory is real when we realize who, how good he is, what he's like, and we realize that we can love him and we can trust him. That is the thing that brings him the most glory. When God wants to glorify himself in our lives, when he wants us to catch a glimpse of his glory, he wants us to see who he is. He wants us to experience his goodness. He wants us to experience his character and feel sure and secure in who he is to the point that we would trust him with our whole lives. Now, at this point, they needed a resurrection to see Jesus' glory, to be convinced that God had sent him because right after this, Jesus was going to be crucified. Right after this, their dreams were going to be dashed. Their hopes were going to be gone they were going to feel lost and confused about how God had been leading them for the last three and a half years. 
and they needed something to hang their faith on. When he died, and he told them that in three days he would rise again, right? But no one seemed to really want to believe, really believe that because after he died, they weren't saying, well, we're, we just have to wait three days and it's going to be okay. Nobody was saying that. So it was, a, it was a devastating time for them. And here he showed them his glory. He showed them that he was God. He showed them that he had the power of life and death in his hands. He showed them that nothing was too hard for him, even a resurrection from the, from the dead. And, they, and he was preparing them for the moment that they would have to lose their savior to crucifixion. In your life and my life, there are things that we need to know about God to be able to hang our faith on him, to be able to trust him no matter what's going on. And when God takes us through seasons of directing us differently than we were asking for, it's because he wants us to see his glory. He wants us to see him more clearly. I um, wanted to share with you a personal story of a time, a moment that this was very real for me. I have gone back and forth wondering if I should share this story with you or not. Um, but I, but the Lord has encouraged me to go for it. <laughs> so um, several years ago, I uh, was speaking at a women's retreat. It was the first retreat I had ever spoken of. It was very exciting for me. But I was very tired the whole time and I couldn't figure out why I was so tired. What's wrong with me? When I got home, um, at my husband's encouragement, I decided to take my first pregnancy test and lo and behold, it came back positive. I was pregnant. That's why I was so tired. I had never been pregnant before. There was a baby growing inside me, changed me. The minute I saw that positive pregnancy test, I became a mother at that moment. And I was thinking about my baby every day. Everything I was doing, I was thinking about my baby. And I started to stress out because I wasn't taking folic acid and because I didn't have insurance. And I had to figure out how I was going to deliver this baby and would anyone help me pay for it. And it went on and on and on. And I was making phone calls and I was trying to figure out how this was going to work. I'd never been pregnant before and I'd never had a baby before. And how was I going to do this? And um, it was very exciting. And I was trying not to stress. And there was a verse, a verse that has been a favorite of mine for a long time. Um, that I kept clinging to and I kept um, talking to the Lord about. It's in Psalm 910. And it says, for those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name, we just learned his name is uh, his character, who he is, what he's like, his goodness. Those who really know what you're like will trust you. And so I kept clinging to that. Every day I talked to the Lord about, Lord, I've seen that you're good. I've, I'm believing in your promises. I'm trusting in your name that um, you're going to get me through this. And I was clinging to that verse. And I, I was only pregnant for a few days, you guys, just a few days. And then I started to feel it. I started to feel those little symptoms that became really big, painful symptoms that told me that I was not pregnant anymore. During the time that I was pregnant, I was planning a baby shower that I was going to have to travel and put on for someone in my family. I was um, preparing to speak at a reversing diabetes seminar because I was a nutritionist at the time. And um, 
I still went ahead and did those things. I went and put on the baby shower while my baby was, I was losing my baby at the same time. And I was not myself and I didn't do the greatest baby shower. And I went ahead and I spoke at the reversing diabetes seminar and I didn't do my best. I was just pretty lousy. <laughs> I didn't do a good job. But the day that I started to lose that baby, I got a package in the mail. And I wasn't expecting a package. I hadn't ordered anything. So I opened it up. You know what it was? It was this right here. This framed Bible verse. You know what it says? And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I had not ordered this. It turned out that the woman who had put on the women's retreat, I must have mentioned to them that this was one of my favorite verses. And she painted this for me, not knowing anything that I was going through and sent it to me. And it arrived faster than it should have on the day that I started to miscarry. And I opened that package and you can imagine I'm more of a Mary than a Martha. So I burst into tears <laughs> and I felt like, wow, God is showing me himself. He's talking to me. He's letting me know that he knows what I'm going through. And he's heard me, even though I'm going through this pain. But that wasn't all of it. I did all the things I was supposed to do. I came home. I prayed. I tried very hard to face this with faith and to face this trusting in God and to not lose it. And it was just an enormous amount of grief. Um. I don't know if any of you have been through something like this, but I had previously known a woman who ran a support group for women who had lost babies either just before birth or just after birth. And she told me that she told those women two things. She said, there are two things that will surprise you, the length of your grief and the depth of your grief. And that was absolutely true. She said, everyone else will be able, ready to go on with life before you are. And that was absolutely true for me. I was really struggling with this. And finally, one day, I just broke down and I poured out my heart to God. And I just let it all out because he is a safe place to pour out your heart and let it all out. And I said, Lord, why? I, I know I'm not supposed to ask why, but why? I, you know, so many people have babies. Everyone around me is having a baby. Why can't I have a baby? What, you know, my husband and I, we have a strong marriage. Our, our baby would come into a home that would stay together forever. We would teach our baby about you. We would love our baby. We wouldn't abuse our baby. I, and I honestly literally said to God, you gave Britney Spears a baby. <laughs> you gave her two babies and she's completely messing them up. Why wouldn't you give me a baby? I mean, I really, really let it out. And I didn't get an answer at the moment, but at that time, I was going through the book of John in my quiet times and my devotions. And I happened to be in the very last book of John, last chapter of the book of John. And I was reading the story about how Jesus had shown up when the disciples were ship fishing and told them to. Um, let the net on the other side. And then they realized it was Jesus and he cooked the fish and he had breakfast with them. And then he had a little talk with Peter. Because Peter had denied him three times, right? And he had a little talk with Peter and he restored Peter. And Peter was feeling reconnected with Jesus. And he was having this really amazing fellowship with Jesus once again. And his, his heart was healing and his life was better. And he looked down the beach and he saw John. 
And Jesus had just told him that one day you will walk where you don't want to walk. Someone will gird you. You will not gird yourself. Someone else will gird you and take you where you don't want to go. And basically he was letting Peter know that one day Peter would lay down his life for Jesus. Now, this might not have been exciting for me to hear, but for Peter, this was really good news because that's who he thought he was. That's what he had told Jesus before the crucifixion. I would die for you, Jesus, you know, and then he didn't. Then he betrayed him. He saw what was really in his heart. He was really disappointed to see who he really was, what he was really capable of. He had failed hugely. And Jesus was telling him, you are this person. You are going to be this person. You are going to stand for me. You, are, you thought you would die for me and you failed, but you will. You will be strong enough to lay down your life for me. You will do a lot for me. Don't worry, Peter. So he had, he had encouraged Peter with this news. And then Peter saw John walking on the um, beach and he asked Jesus, well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? He was really going with this conversation with Jesus. It was really good. He was enjoying this. And Jesus basically, <laughs> Jesus basically said to him, what is that to you? It's none of your business. What's going on with him? You follow me. That's what Jesus said to Peter. And in that moment, when I read that story, it was like God showed up, like his presence was right there. And he impressed my mind with so much thought in an instant that it, I will try to put into words for you. But basically, I felt like God was telling me, don't look at uh, the other people who are pregnant. That is not your story. Don't worry about the story I'm writing with them. I'm writing your story with you. You keep your eyes on me. You follow me. You live your story, not theirs. Don't worry about what I'm doing with them. And he went even deeper than that. I just got this flood of memories in my mind from the time I was little, how different I had felt being a missionary kid and having to move to different countries all the time and fit in with the new culture and how I had always felt different and always felt like everyone else got the manual for what was normal except me. Somehow I had missed that book. And I tried so hard to fit in and I tried so hard to be like everybody else. And I could never figure out how to. And I always felt like something was wrong with me and I was completely inadequate. And I developed all these huge insecurities, was always trying to please people. All this, all these layers from all my life that had left me, you know, emotionally crippled as an adult. He just brought all to me. In this one moment, as I was miscarrying and I was pouring out my heart and saying, Lord, why? Why is something wrong with me and not with everyone else? And he was basically saying to me, this is what you've always thought. This is where you're not alive. And today it stops. Today we're having this moment that you're with me on the beach. And today you're going to learn to put your eyes on me. And not compare yourself to anyone else anymore and not try and live their lives, but be who I made you to be. And I tell you, that was my resurrection. That was the resurrection that he was giving me. I wanted him to resurrect my baby. I wanted him to heal my baby. But in that moment, I needed a resurrection. I needed to see his glory. I need to see how good he was and who he was in my life and who I was to him. I needed healing from years and years and years of insecurity and pain. 
And I needed that before he could give me a child to pass on whatever I had to. Do you see that? There was my moment that I prayed for a healing and Jesus gave me a resurrection. And my life was different after that experience. That's what God was giving to Mary and Martha in this moment that he loved them enough to wait two days before he showed up. That's what God is doing in those moments that we feel that he's not listening, that we think he's not answering. But if we knew his heart enough, we would know that we could trust him even in those moments that we feel that prayers are unanswered. God's glory doesn't always come in the form of a flashy miracle. God's glory came to me on my bed in my puddle of tears that day when I needed a resurrection. Jesus showed his glory even further in this story to me, because if you go down to verse 53, after the resurrection was all over, you will see that it was because of this miracle that the, the, uh, the religious leaders of the time decided that Jesus's life needed to end. This was when they decided that they were going to kill him and nothing was going to stop them. Now, from what I know of Jesus, he knew the future a lot. He knew what people were thinking a lot. He told his disciples plenty of times, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to rise again. So it's not a stretch to think that Jesus knew this would be the consequence of raising Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus raised Lazarus, he could have just healed him and gone on a few more years. But when he chose to raise him from the dead, he sealed his own fate. When he chose to raise him from the dead, he took his first step toward the cross. And he did it anyway, because they needed it. Because he loved them enough. Because he loved them so much. What a beautiful picture of his glory. What a beautiful picture of his heart of self-sacrificing, unconditional love. I can't give you a reason for every seemingly unanswered prayer in your life. My heart can only sympathize and hurt with you when you go through disappointment and pain. But I do know this, that when God seems the farthest, he is the closest. When it seems he doesn't hear you, he's preparing to show you his glory. He's placing you in a position to hear him more intimately and be drawn to him more closely. In the book, The Ministry of Healing, the author Ellen White says it in a beautiful way. Um, in the future life, the mysteries that here have annoyed and disappointed us will be made plain. We shall see that our seemingly unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes have been among our greatest blessings. And so today, in 2020, children of God, whom Jesus loves very much, today, may you know the God of Mary and Martha, and Lazarus. May you know the God who sometimes gives you a resurrection when you're only asking for a healing. The God who knows and understands you. The God who will meet you, who is always in the business of revealing himself to you. And may you see his glory. Should we pray?
Dear God, we couldn't ask for a better father than who you are. Lord, each one of us, you know what's going in our lives, what's going on in our lives and what's going on in our hearts. You know what the future holds that we don't know. And I just pray, Lord, that you would take us through whatever we need to go through to believe in your love, to believe that you are trustworthy, to see your glory. And may Jesus be glorified in every day of our lives. In your name I pray.